We've already forgiven a couple of you uh, anxiety this morning, but uh, as with many holidays, we uh, made a couple last-minute changes. We didn't have service down in Augusta as they are having a community service. And so we thought, well, from here we were going to go up to Julie's mother's and um, spend the day there and uh, maybe do a little fishing. So, of course, I had nothing ready in the morning, so I was up trying to get all that going. But it's good to be here today. And uh, I don't know if I can preach as fast as we went through the beginning of service. Yeah, <laughs> that's okay. But uh, we're going to be coming out of Mark chapter 6. And, uh, one of the things uh, I wanted to talk about today was the critical spirit that sometimes we have. Being uh, Sometimes I call ourselves professional fault finders, but we tend to be very critical of a lot of things in, in life. And uh, unfortunately, um, we're usually critical towards those that are closest to us. So uh, within families, within church families, within... Uh, communities where we know people well, we tend to sometimes get a, a very critical spirit. And I want to say it was no different with, with Jesus. We're going to find this out in a minute. Um, but I want us to think about that because uh, the Lord has really challenged us through the Gospels to uh, share the message of salvation with the lost, but to edify and encourage the believers. Now, with edifying and encouraging, sometimes there is correction that happens in that, but Correction is a little bit different than being a critic. And so um, in Jesus' day, uh, I just want to state that it would have been pretty customary for him to be in the synagogue teaching uh, in the mornings. And we sort of see that as we set up our um, scripture for today. And again, it's Mark uh, 6, 1 through 6 is what we're going to um, be going through. But he would have been reading through the Sabbath service. And so... His hometown uh, folks there, they listened to him uh, pretty intently. They had heard a lot about him. Now, he was raised in this community, and he had uh, since ventured out. His ministry had began, and uh, he was going all over the, the areas and performing great miracles. And I'm sure that um, his reputation or the stories of what he had been doing uh, were far ahead of him. And so they had heard about the miracles uh, that this hometown boy, Jesus, had done. And I think as he was getting ready to come to their town, um, they were wondering, well, what will he do in his hometown? And sometimes when we have popular people in the world today, you know, when they go back to their hometowns, the hometown sort of expects something special. Sometimes the performers um, want to do something a little bit special, and so... I think maybe people were looking at anticipation about this Jesus and what was he going to do? How was he going to uh, show himself to, to be all these things that the people were saying um, that he was? And as we read through this, I want to read through this and we'll go back and dissect it a little bit. But Mark 6, starting at 1, it says, Then he went out from there and came to his, whole, his own country and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this which is given to him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. 
But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Now he could do no mighty works there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. So we sort of see this, this setup that's coming. But he, he makes this statement that's sort of a, a, a rebuke of his hometown people, his neighbors. And he said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country and except by his own relatives and except in his own house. And as I read that this over the last couple of weeks, I, I really began to think about that. Isn't that where a lot of criticism comes from? There's a, a statement that says familiarity breeds contempt. And sometimes the more we know about people, uh, we begin to see uh, the chinks in their armor, the cracks in their, their you know, lives, and, and we get to know people. Because at a distance, sometimes when we first meet somebody, and you guys have sort of had the experience of, of uh, doing this as you've had pastors coming in to um, present themselves, you know, when they come in, they can, they can look really good. We see that first glimpse of them, and we can think all sorts of things. When we first meet somebody, it's like, oh, isn't that person wonderful and great and grand? We get new people that come to church. Look at that wonderful, beautiful family. But then as we become close and as we become a family, we begin to see some of the faults. We, become, uh, we begin to see some of the problems. And we all have these in our life, by the way. I'm not saying to others, we all have those. I have those in my life, and Julie and I have those, and I'm sure all you all have those too. And we begin to see these faults, and sometimes we can stand back with a critical eye. So it says, not only within our own country, but amongst, it says, his own relatives, our family. So sometimes the family say, well, who are you to be doing what you're doing? You know, when I became uh, a minister and became involved in the ministry, a lot of my family thought, isn't this the one that I remember when he was a little boy, did all these things, and when he was a teenager, got in all this trouble, and when he was older, was always doing this stuff here, and now you say that you're preaching the gospel, the message? Sometimes those are big hurdles to overcome, and some of you have done that in your life. What do you mean you're a churchgoer? What do you mean you're a Christian? I remember you, when, and they can go through the whole list of things that we have done. So our community can look at us that way. Our relatives can look at us that way. But I want to even say within our own homes, we can look at that. My wife knows things about me that nobody else knows. And it's easy when we know these things about one another that, that it's easy to use those things as weapons. You know, some of the harshest comments I have heard sometimes are husbands talking about their wives to others or wives sometimes talking about their husbands to others. We call them little gossip circles, little coffee clutches sometimes. And we become very critical. And I wouldn't say that our, our intent is to um, tarnish or to hurt that person as we're talking, but the Bible tells us that we need to guard our tongues and the things that we say. It's very easy to find fault with people because we have been trained in that in the world today. As we look in the world today, um, just the, the political climate that we're in, and on both sides of the aisles, we find fault. You know, if you're a Democrat, there's nothing a Republican can do that's right. If you're a Republican, there's nothing a Democrat can do that's right. 
you know, if, if you were through these uh, last riots that were going on and disturbances in there, you know, you had things like Black Lives Matter, you have the problems, you have all these things, and people are always, and they get very tunnel visioned in their agenda and what they're doing, and they're not willing to listen to anybody. And Jesus sort of came across this, and I'll say a political climate in his hometown at that time. So he started out with this rebuke. And he wanted people really to, I think, think about the things that they are saying. Think about what it was that they were expecting from others. Sometimes we don't look so much what we can learn from somebody or receive from somebody as far as life lessons. But many times we look at others to say, what can I get from them? We hear people a lot of times say, well, what's in it for me? That's sort of the mentality of the world today. What do I get out of this? And if we weigh the consequences and the benefits and we say, I don't get enough, then we just say, I'm not going that way. But Jesus has called us as believers to do something greater. And as Jesus rebuked these people that were there, his relatives and his countrymen, it says um, that they despised his preaching. That they were no longer going to listen to what he had to say. And um, Jesus says, well, I can't do any more works here because of your unbelief. Because of your disbelief. Now I want to say Jesus could do whatever he wanted. He was God, but there is something about belief that he wants to emphasize in our lives, believing in him. Now, our faith doesn't just make it happen. I'm not a name it, claim it person. Um, you know, Jesus said if we had faith the size of a mustard seed, we could do great things. We could move mountains. I don't see many people moving mountains. So that tells me that I've, given, I've been given a portion of faith that, that God has given me. But he says if we have unbelief, if we choose not to believe, he says, I, I can't do the works. It's, it's like we can give people all the tools in the world to, to overcome something in their life. You know, again, I often use the prison because it's just been a part of my life for so long. We can give these guys tools to overcome addictions, to overcome these uh, vices in their life. But if they don't want to use them, they're never going to change. They're never going to do it. Some people just say, they're never going to change. Or some people believe in their own life. I can't do it. I just can't do it. But God tells us we need to have faith. We need to have faith in him. And we're going to talk in a moment. I want to say unbelief and no belief is a little bit different. And he's talking about unbelief. He's talking about people that are choosing not to believe in him. So they despised him. And he said, I really can't do these works because of, uh, because of your unbelief. And so we sort of see here when people come together to judge uh, or to hate or to refuse to understand, they're really going to see no other point of view except that which they want to see. And as a, as a believer and as a Christian, I think many times we need to always be learning. Okay, We know what we believe in. We know the foundations and the fundamentals of our faith. We stand strong in those things. We hold on to those things. But sometimes we think that we've reached a spot where we can learn no more. Or what can this tell me? And I want to ask you, when you read the scriptures, and this is the importance of, of being in God's word, when you read the scriptures, does it speak new to you sometimes? Does it, does it give you a fresh perspective of things? This is the first time I've really been going through Mark again, and 
I'm getting new things out of it. You know, I'm asking the Lord to show me, you know, what I can learn from this, how I can apply this to my own life. But do we get locked into having our, our own point of view of, of just being very narrow in our understanding and very narrow in our belief? And it says that these people were refusing to love and accept others. They were refusing to even listen to him because of who he was. You know, Jesus came to set us free from this tyranny called sin. Most people I deal with, they're, they're, they're not so afraid of sin. As a matter of fact, they wade into sin. But when you start talking about eternal things, life and death, a lot of people are afraid to die. They, they don't know what lies on the other side. Now, I know some Christians, they say, I know where I'm going when I die. Sometimes we wonder about the process of getting there. But there's people that cling to this life so strong because they're unsure of what their future holds in the life beyond. Jesus came to set us free, to give us that assurance in our life, to, to set us free from this bondage of sin and uh, these things that destroy both our soul and our body. And so he's a liber, liberating God. I mean, we're talking about the, the freedom of our country today, but uh, on, the, on the verse on the beginning of the bulletin, uh, talked about the freedom in Christ. I mean, we have freedom in him, and he's come to do that, and he was trying to preach that at this time, um, but they didn't want to receive it. And so the gospel is good news for us today. And do you know that, that freedom and that joy that is found only in Christ? So it talks about Jesus' countrymen being offended at him. So in verses 1 through 3, it just says, um, and he went out from there, and he came to his own country, and the disciples followed him, so his followers were with him. Uh, their disciple isn't always a Christian. I want to just tell you that. A disciple means a student of. So you can be a student of something, but it doesn't mean that they're, they're, they bought fully into the system. They're just a disciple. They're a follower of. And so, but he had disciples that were following him. And they came into the uh, town and into the synagogue. And it says he had come to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished. So they were astonished. They're listening to him. And they're saying, man, this is the kid that grew up in our town. This is the one that, that we've been hearing about. And they were astonished at his teachings. And it says, in hearing him, were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what wisdom in which is given to him and such mighty works that are performed by his hands? He came in, they saw these things that he was doing. And so they're witnessing right now, they're witnessing something supernatural. Isn't that something how we can see the, the hand of God working around us sometimes and still people choose to reject it? And so they said this, though, is this not the carpenter? And this was sort of a disparaging remark. These comments that are coming from his community are, are not meant as compliments. They're, they're sort of meant as put down. Really, a carpenter was just a common man. And that was one of the reasons they didn't want to listen to Jesus. It's because, well, well this, he's just a common man. So, but if we look at the word carpenter, I think there's many things that we could say uh, in our lives that we can learn that, that Jesus also learned. And, and one thing maybe that he learned as a carpenter is that uh, there's a lot of potential in a log. Okay? So in, in my woods, I have uh, quite a bit of basswood I've been cutting down. And, and for me, basswood is pretty worthless. It makes smoke a little bit of heat. It's, it's not good for much as far as I'm concerned. Maybe they make them little glider airplanes, you know, that you could throw around. But somebody told me, you know what, if you make some blocks out of those, carvers love those things. 
I'm thinking they love basswood where well, they like it because it's, it's pliable and they can do things. But have you ever noticed with a, an artist, if it's a piece of granite or if it's a piece of wood or even carpenters or woodworkers that do things, they can get a board or a couple boards and I can see a pile of wood, but they're going to see an end table or they're going to see a piece of furniture or they're going to see a house that can be built. Okay? So I believe that carpenters, and Jesus specifically, and this, there's a spiritual lesson we can learn here, he probably really discovered that there's a lot of potential in a log. So we can look around and say, well, who's that? They're never going to change. They're just a log in this world. They're just a, a bump on a log. But Jesus sees the potential. And he tells us also as believers that we need to see the potential in others. Do we see potential in others? See, we can be critical. I can say that's just a chunk of wood and a little bit of smoke, a little bit of heat. It's not good for much of anything. And isn't it unfortunate sometimes we look at people that way, sort of judgmental, and they're not good for much? But Jesus says spiritually we should be looking at people through the eyes of Jesus and saying there's great potential in that life. Second thing he probably learned is it takes work and time to make something usable. Okay? They used to have statements, and, and I, I don't know if I hear it much anymore, but I know wives used to be called homemakers. You think, well, why, why did they call them homemakers? Well, because they made a home. In today's society, we have a lot of houses where families live in, but a house is not a home. A home is something different. And they were a homemaker. Why did they call them a homemaker? Because it took time, it took energy, it took commitment to make that house into a home. The farmers of the old days, probably some still today, when something broke down, they couldn't just order to Amazon and say, you know, well, you'll have it here tomorrow. They would go out and they'd find another old piece of equipment and they'd take something off and they'd fashion it to make it fit, to make it work. They were makers. They made things work. Amen. We live in a sort of an instantaneous society today that uh, when we're hungry, we just go through a drive through or we can order takeout or we can have it delivered and, and I enjoy all those things I'm not being critical of those things but you know sometimes in our society we began to treat everything like that even those that need to hear the gospel message so we need to understand that it takes time and work sometimes to make something usable that's called discipleship Jesus tells us in Matthew go and make disciples of all nations that means you're teaching them, you're walking with them, you're training them in those things. When I was younger, they used to have a lot of things, they'd call it apprenticeship. You would work under a master, learning how to do these things. But if we're in such a hurry that we want instantaneous results, we want it to happen right now, right away, we sort of lose the value of the journey. You know, there's something different from flying from you know, here to Montana, my oldest son, they're getting ready to go on their vacation out to their cabin in Montana. There's a difference in flying there and driving there. You know, the driving is, is part of the fun sometimes if you can take your time and enjoy the views. Well, in life we do that many times. We're in such a hurry all the time that we're really not taking time to make things. And I think Jesus, as a carpenter, learned that it took work and time to make something usable. And we need to value lives as Jesus did, and look at them and say, you know what, it may take a lot of effort, it may take a lot of time. Lord knows it did with me. You know, I had people praying for me a long time before I was a Christian, and even after I was a Christian, I've had people come alongside of me, and, and they're still working with me, still, you know, 
It's a process. It takes work and time, and God is still working on me. And the third thing I think maybe that he learned was that the finest things are made from the hardest wood. So sometimes, you know, we look at somebody and say, that's a hard, hard person. I don't know if the gospel can ever get into that life, and if we're not uh, brass enough to say it, we might be thinking that in our lives. But why is it that everybody likes oak trim and hard maple furniture and, you know, black walnut? It's because it's a hard wood, and it's harder to work with, but it's beautiful when it's done. God likes to take those things that seem inusable, that seem to be tarnished and seem to be of no value, and he can take those things and make something beautiful out of it. And sometimes it's the hardest wood. So they called him this carpenter. Is this not the carpenter, you know, that is doing these things? The son of Mary. And so when we look at that statement, even the son of Mary, that was a disparaging remark also about Jesus because in Jewish customs, it would have been proper and honoring to identify a child, especially a male child, with his father. They would have said, this is not Jesus, the son of Joseph. But apparently by this time, uh, maybe some of the thoughts of the illegitimacy of, of Jesus, that Joseph wasn't his um, biological father, was maybe there, and that Mary had conceived him, you know, in their opinion, in sin out of, out of marriage. And so it was a disparaging remark. So these were hurtful things, I think, to Jesus as he was hearing these things. And again, I want to challenge us. Are we saying sometimes hurtful things to others? Maybe we just want to get a little dig in. We want to make a little point. Um, but we got to guard, again, our tongue. You know, so the rumors were probably there, which may have spurred that statement also. But we know it was something that, that really wasn't good. And so his rejection is this, is that a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, and he goes through that, except, uh, except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. So when he says this, he's really accepting this rejection as, as part of the process. I think he understands that. You know, he, he really understands it, and even though it's, it hurts him, he knows that it's part of the price um, to be rejected by friends and neighbors. And sometimes as believers, as Christians, we may be rejected also by friends and neighbors and family members. We're trying to share the gospel message. And for whatever reason, they don't want to hear it. They don't want to accept it. And sometimes they, they get upset with us. And, and, you know, and we have this statement sometimes, well, there's two things we don't talk about, and that's politics and, and religion. And uh, I always think as believers, we need to talk about those things. You know, we need to be open to talk about those things, especially faith. I'm not going to look at somebody and say, well, I'm not going to talk religion with them because, I, you know, I may offend them. I'd rather offend them and give them the opportunity to hear the gospel message because I just know it's a seed that I'm planting. They have the opportunity to learn more of Christ and, and be saved and have a relationship with them than to not offend them and, and know that they're on their way to hell. See, we need to really get our, our priorities right in those things. And so we need to understand that sometimes when we share our faith, we're going to offend people. And I'll say even Christians to Christians, when we are in a body of believers, when we are a family of God, we need to sometimes confront those things in our lives that don't belong there. I have, a, and by the way, we should be praying for, for Billy this morning. He's preaching at the Church of the Brethren in, in Stanley today. 
But Billy's one that, uh, when he sees something in my life, and it's been this way for oh, going on 40 years, um, one thing that he used to do, he'd call me up and he'd, he'd, he'd say that. I'd say, hello. He'd say, hey, Craig. I'd say, yeah. As iron sharpens iron. And I knew just that statement was, I need to talk to you about something going on. And usually, and it was a lot of times real early in our, our Christian walk, there was something in my life that I was doing or showing that needed to be adjusted. And I used to think, oh, man. And he'd tell me sometimes, and I'd just think, oh, he's, he's foolish. I don't want to hear. I would be like these people. I would just sort of block it out for a while. But he was doing it out of love. And he was doing it because he cared for me. And he was doing it because the word of God said it. And as we say, if you call yourself a Christian, we, I, if, if you call yourself a Christian, to me, I hold you to a different standard than the world. Some people say, well, that's not fair, but we need to do that. Because when you say you're a Christian, you're a Christ follower, right? And if you're not living to follow Christ, then we need to edify one another. We need to encourage one another, right? We need to correct one another in love to make sure that we're all walking as close as we can with one another. Now, the problem sometimes is, is we can get to a point of self-righteousness where I'm just pointing out everybody's faults, but I'm not receiving what other people have to say. It has to be dialogue. As a family, we have relationship with one another. And so as we have relationship, it opens up that we can say, hey, and you know what? We may not always agree on all the things, and that's fine, but we shouldn't always be offended if, if the word of God is what is speaking and not our opinions. And so we need to do that. We need to be willing and able and, and bold enough really to speak our, our faith. You know, I think it's an important thing to do, to bring it in to wherever we can. You know, when we, when we went on our motorcycle ride, we got down by Whitehall. And before we took off, um, and I wasn't even thinking about it, Gene says, let's start with a word of prayer. I just thought, oh, yeah, I didn't even think about that. And so we started our trip with a word of prayer. It was a beautiful ride that day. It was a wonderful thing. See, we can interject our faith in small ways and in small areas of our life. But we need to also encourage one another, challenge one another, you know, exhort one another in the faith that we can always do better. You know, the, the, we, we don't think anything about that with our professional athletes. Oh, you can do a little better if you tweak this and tweak that. You'll be much stronger at this position and you'll get much more accomplished. We can apply all those things to our jobs, to our life, to other areas. Why don't we do that to our spiritual sides? Ah, oh, you know what? Your walk is going great, but, you know, you got this thing a little bit. You know, I used to have a bad, bad spirit of, of competitiveness. And I was confronted on it once, and I got all mad because I was competitive. And, uh, well, fine, I'm quitting. I ain't playing anymore. And then poof. And that's how it was. Just, you know, you know how babies are, right? And I, was, I was just a 27-year-old baby. And so I sort of pouted for a while. But, you know, the Lord was working on me because my friends had confronted me with Scripture, not just with my competitiveness. And I began to pray, you know, Lord, if my competitiveness is interfering with my testimony of you, then, then I won't play or remove the competitiveness from me. And the Lord really did that. I mean, he really, my over-competitiveness anyways, he, he removed that from me. And I don't have that. I don't have to have that have-to-win attitude in my life all the time. We first got married, Julie tried to lose 
card games because, you know, she keep beating me and beating me. I thought, oh, we got to play one more, you know, because I, I, I couldn't lose and go to bed at night. And so, I mean, that's how bad sometimes it is in our life. But we don't see it in ourselves until God reveals it to us. And so it says that he could do no mighty work. Uh, so in this climate of unbelief that he was dealing with, it, it says that he, he healed a few that were, uh, were sick, and he touched them and, and healed them. Uh, but it, he's really saying, my power is limited by the unbelief that is in your life. And I want you to think about your faith and your trust in God. I know sometimes circumstances seem uh, monumental. Sometimes we don't see how we can get through those. And it can be health things, and it can be relational things. It can be financial things. It can be addiction things. There can be all these things. And, you know, we haven't walked in everybody's shoes, so we don't know what it's always like. But one thing God says that we can do is we can pull along somebody, and we can encourage them by being alongside of them and help them get through those things that they're going through. And so, but if somebody says, you know, I I choose not to believe this. There was, and I can't remember the name uh, right now. I was thinking about it this morning, but, um, and I might have shared that story here a few weeks ago or so, but this man just said, I wish I could believe what you believe. And the thing isn't about wishing, because wishing is, is hoping in, in something that might randomly happen. God has called us to trust in him and to have faith, to believe in him and to have faith, and he will see it through. You know, God loves you more than any one of us could love each other. He has such a great love for us, and he wants what's best for us, and sometimes what's best for us is not what I want in my life. Sometimes what's best for me is what God has in my life, and learning to accept that is a, is a hard thing. So Jesus really refused to do miracles in order to gain success. He wasn't just going to do things just to say, well, you know, these people, they're just not believing me right now. Well, watch this, guys, and and him do some big miracle. He wasn't going to do that. We don't need to do that either. We proclaim the gospel. There's power in the word of God. That's what we do. You know, Luke 7 just talks about, in closing, it talks about a centurion who had a sick servant. So he sent people, he heard Jesus was in the air, and he says, you know, have Jesus come to my place because my, my servant is sick and near death. And, and so Jesus was on his way. And, and then he sent some of his friends part way. He says, you know what? Jesus, you don't even need to come to my house. He says, I don't even feel worthy to have you in my house. I don't even feel worthy to be in your presence. Just say the word. He says, I'm a man in authority and under authority. He says, I know what it's like to tell my men to go and they go and to come and come and they do and they'll do. And he says, just speak the words. And you know what Jesus said? He says, I have, he says he was amazed. He says, I, I, I'm amazed. I have seen not such great faith, not even in all of Israel. Amen. So here's a Gentile. Jesus says, I'm amazed at the faith of this Gentile. But he says, I'm also amazed at the unbelief of the Jews. He might be sitting today sometimes looking in his church and saying, I'm amazed at the unbelief that is in my body of believers. But then there can be those that are outside. He says, but I'm amazed sometimes at their trust and their faith that they can have. When Jesus comes, or when he's looking at you today, is he going to marvel at your faith or at your unbelief? What is it that you are filled with today? And that just closes the city, went about the village, 
villages in a circuit teaching. We cannot let hindrances and circumstances slow us down from what God has called us to do. We continue on. Sometimes there's big bumps in the road. You know, if you're on a trip, you get a flat tire, you don't say, oh, that's it, we're done. No. You get out, you, you change that tire, and you get back on the road again. God has done that with me several times. In our life, we go through things. We're going to hit those valleys. We're going to hit that dead end. And God says, well, just turn yourself around. Find a way out. Follow me. And we get our eyes back on him because the way of Jesus is never a dead end in our life. So he got busy with the teaching and the ministry. How about you? Are you busy doing those things that God has called you to do? Are you proclaiming the gospel even to your family and your friends and your neighbors, even at the risk of being rejected? He has called us to do that. Don't be a critic. Be a coach. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for your word. We thank you for this church, Lord. We know that as each of us here has gone through difficult times in our life and struggles, Lord, you remain faithful. You have called us to faith. But your word tells us even when we are faithless, you are faithful. And so, Lord, we stand in your faith, not in our own faith. Somebody once asked, do we have faith in faith or do we have faith in God? We need to have faith in you, Lord. And we thank you for the faith that you give us. Father, where we have unbelief, Lord, we, we just ask that um, your spirit's presence would drive that from us. And we know that in our nature, it's, it's easy to doubt. It's easy to struggle with these things. It's easy to question. And there's nothing wrong with a question. But Lord, help us to walk in your light and in your path. We ask that you continue to grow this body. Lord, that you continue to proclaim the gospel out through its members. We ask that we would continue to serve, Lord, as I, I saw as on the bulletin today, it said to serve God and to serve others. Lord, help us to do both in that order. As we serve you, as we are faithful to you and following you, and then our eyes open to those around us. We just ask your blessing, Lord, through the rest of this holiday weekend as people are traveling. Lord, keep them safe. Lord, we just pray that we would be consumed with your love, that we might also show the love of Christ to others around us. So, Lord, be with us this day and through this week. And we ask this now in Jesus' name.